0: Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you that because of your broken body and your spilled blood, we get to be here today to celebrate you and what you've done. That the brokenness that your body went through, that the blood that was spilled was not the end, but merely the beginning of what you would institute as the church, your ecclesia, your people, your your ruling body for your kingdom. Help us, Lord, today to experience the power of your resurrection. Lord, that we would do what you called your very first believers to do, which is to put their belief, their faith in you as Savior and as Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You should have a sheet or somebody next to you has a sheet. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. Title of today's sermon is, The God Who Can't Be Killed. The reason why we titled it that way is because we just finished our series in Lent called Killing Our Gods. And so there is one God, though, that cannot die, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's read Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. It says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid and go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. The word of the Lord. Amen. You know, as a society and as a people group, we are used to a life where everything leads to death. This is part of the human condition. This is part of human nature. Mary and Mary, as Matthew calls her, the other Mary, They go to the tomb to mourn because that's what you do for the dead. You go and you mourn. They had just finished preparing the body the day before. They embalmed it. They sent it in, and they were going the next day to to pay their respects. This is nothing out of the ordinary. You know, many of us, when things are going well in our life, what is the thought that we naturally have? I wonder when everything is going to mess up and it's going to get worse. Now, why do we have that? Why is that such a normal part of our thinking and part of our life? Because we are used to a decaying world. We're used to everything that goes up must come down. We are used to a life where eventually everything will die. And so we translate that into every situation that we're in. And when something feels life-giving, when something feels good, we wonder in the back of our mind, when is this going to come to an end? When is everything going to fall apart? In fact, some of us think so deeply this way that we self-sabotage our relationships with other people, our, our jobs when things are going well, because we wonder, when are you going to cheat on me? When is my boss going to hate me? When is this person going to backstab me? And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in our life. Because death is a part of life. Death is a part of everything that we know since we are kids. Some of us have experienced death from a young age. Over the last two years, all of us have experienced death of people close to us, loved ones. This is the way of the world. Good things that are supposed to be things that are pleasurable and fun. We take them and we abuse them so that they cause death in our life. We make good things, great things, things that we worship, things that we bow down to, things that we say, finally, I have found something good, and so we worship it. And what does that thing do to us? It kills us. Our coping mechanisms, oh, this will bring me peace, this will bring me joy. Another glass of wine. Maybe the weed will finally bring me down. Those are the easy ones to say, but we'll turn to things that we look at, man, that has nothing wrong with it, like playing a video game. I'll tell you, as a video game addict from growing up and person who still casually enjoys playing them, don't laugh too hard, Steph. (laughs) right, I've seen something that could be good, relaxing, fun, destroy someone's life. One of my friends, his world became so absorbed with video games, something that was good, something that was supposed to be relaxing, that he ultimately began to worship it. It became his entire life. He went on to lose his family. His wife divorced him, his kids disowned him because the video game was his life. It brought death everywhere around him. We, This is what we do as part of the human condition. We look for life, and when we think we have found a little bit of it, we take it, we cling to it, we worship it, and then it kills us, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. See, the reason for this is that is something that has become part of the world. In Romans chapter 6.23, it says, the wages or the payment of sin is death. See, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was judgment that came upon not only all of humankind, but all of the world. Sin came into the world, and because of it, death came into the world. Where now sin and death occupy every space, not only the space of our hearts, but the space of our systems, the space of our world, the space of our governments, the space of our people groups. Sin has permeated everything so that we now know a world where everything leads to death has become commonplace and normal. See, every other godlike figure, every other movement, every other nation, every other kingdom, every person has been conquered by death. If we think of just a few, Buddha, Muhammad, Gandhi, conquered by death. These were people that were seen as great people to be worshiped, to take what they have said as sacred, but they died. And when they died, it was the end of their life. We look at great empires and nations like Rome and Persia and the Chinese dynasties. What happens, they have all come to an end The Mongolian Empire, the greatest empire that ever existed, came to an end. Because everything dies. The human condition, sin and death, has permeated every space so that nothing can be perfect. Nothing can live forever. Nothing can go on forever. All of us one day will come to our end Our nation one day will come to its end. The world order that we know now will come to an end. Everything will come to an end. And so when Jesus dies, the reaction is the same. When Mary runs to the tomb, she is expecting what she has known her entire life, to see a dead man in the tomb. They've even seen Jesus raise people from the dead in their journeys, but it was unthinkable that someone could raise themselves. Death was part of life. Death is the natural ending of life in the world that we live in. And so when Jesus dies, the reaction is the same many of us experience when something comes to an end or something has destroyed our life. The hope for the future is destroyed. Our longing for something better, the hope that we had, is finally disappointment. It brings disappointment into us. All the what could have beens. If there's any dreamers in the house, people that always think about the future, what could be, you know to experience, if you're old enough and mature enough, you've learned to come around to understand that I can't dream too far, too deeply, because I will probably be disappointed. For the disciples, what happens there? They come to a point where they had had put their eggs in this basket. No Easter pun intended. Jesus was everything. They left their families. They left everything that they had there. Some of them left their, their, their and, and back then, if you leave your family, that's basically, you, you have left everything. They, they left their careers. They left their jobs. They left their friends. One person says, let me go bury my dad. And Jesus says, let the, bury, the dead bury the dead. Follow me. They have literally left everything and followed him because he was the promised Messiah. He was salvation incarnate. Everything depended on him. He was going to be the one that for thousands of years he was prophesied about. Here he was. He was going to set Israel free. And then he dies. You know, something that we overlook is Saturday a lot of times on Easter weekend. What the disciples must have been feeling on Saturday the depression, the shame of, you ever, you ever, you ever fell prey to a marketing scam uh, MLM, right? When you finally figure out you're a part of an MLM, right? And after you talk to all your friends and all your family, and maybe you got some money, and then you realize, like, I've been duped. I'm a sucker. You feel shame. Like, ah. And now you got to hang your head. Maybe, you know, depending on how good you are with conflict, maybe you talk about it and say sorry to everybody. Maybe everybody just decides never to talk about it again. And in five or 10 years, there's that random comment of, remember what happened to that? It's like, uh, the food is ready, right? Yeah. Right? They must have felt duped. Jesus went around saying that he was the Messiah. When Peter said, you are the Christ, he said, yeah, you're right. When other people would proclaim he was the Christ, he would say, yeah, but don't tell anybody. When he went into Jerusalem last week on Palm Sunday, he was declaring, I am the king. And so Saturday must have been a depressing day. A day full of shame, maybe anxious around their future. They had just given up everything, and that everything that they gave up, they felt was for nothing. They were full of sadness, maybe mourning Jesus like Mary was doing that morning, ready to go weep at his tomb. But something different happens this time, something that's out of the ordinary something that was unexpected, even though Jesus spoke about it over and over again, even though he spoke about it so often, it just, no one could wrap their head around what was about to happen. Do you know that even the devil didn't know what was going to happen? He would have never done what he did if he knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew. So when Mary and Mary go to the tomb, the angel says something crazy. He says, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Jesus does the unthinkable. He conquers the human condition. See, the human condition is so intertwined with our life that many times We don't even realize that it is there. The death and the decay, this has become, as I said, normal life, normal practice. And so many of us have been walking through life with death knocking on our door every single day with everything that we touch, every relationship that we enter into, every community that we join, every job that we go into, that we are so used to it, we no longer question that this is part of the human condition. This is normal practice. But Jesus conquers this. See, sin has been the thing since Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned and God placed judgment over them and everyone after them and into the world, this this was the command. This was how people had to live. And when the law came in, we realized no one really could live up to what it meant to be good. No one could live that Eden life, that life of perfection, that life everlasting, that life that goes on forever. And this became so bad, you see so many messianic figures in the Old Testament, people like David and Abraham and Noah, but every single time, what does the Bible share about each and every one of these people's, their human condition? Abraham sleeps with his servants because he doesn't believe in the promise of God and has Ishmael. Noah gets drunk and dances around naked and one of his kids uncovers him. David, as we heard last week, sees Bathsheba bathing naked and then sleeps with her while his men are off to war. None of these figures are perfect each and every one of them seen as anointed each and every one of them as prophetic jacob who gives birth to all of israel is literally a liar and a deceiver his entire life and so we have a lot of almost maybe then but when jesus comes he does something that nobody else can do he lives perfectly Scripture says that he was tempted in every way, but did not sin. Can you imagine that? I am tempted in two ways in the morning, and I sin every day. Jesus was tempted in every way, and his whole life did not sin. And when he goes to the cross, this is just business as usual. He dies, and it's over. The hope that the Savior, the Messiah, the return to the presence of God, the return to Eden, the return of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven is lost. Israel would never be what they were called to be. Israel couldn't live up to. The law couldn't live up to. Being God's people on their own. And so, when Jesus raises from the dead, something significantly shifts in the world, and that is why it has changed history. That is why when we look at our calendar, our calendar is split in two, because the significance of what he did reverberates today, that it started from this small group of about 120 people, and then within a few hundred years, the emperor of the greatest empire at that time was a believer, and it took over the entire empire, went far into the east, went far into the west, because what Jesus did changed the human condition forever. And when people experienced and were impacted by this power, something changed in them where they had to not only tell other people about it, but they had to give their life to it because there was nothing like it that they had ever experienced before. Where every hope had disappointed them, this hope would not disappoint them any longer. Where everything else left them depressed, broken, and dead, this only left them with more life. This, my friends, was something that changed history forever. The promise that Jesus made through him was that we would have abundant life. This is so unnatural to the human condition where all we are used to experiencing is abundant death, so much so that it has become part of our psyche. But when Jesus comes, he says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I, am, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. One preacher friend of mine described this as not just having life. This is not having just one really deep life qualitatively. This is a quantitative life that Jesus offers, meaning it is life and life and life and life and life and life. It is life on top of life on top of life. That is the promise of Jesus. So much life that the human condition cannot be its own in front of it, so much that it has to change, it has to start to change, it has to renew, so much so that the old passes away, and that the new comes, as scripture says, that the old person can no longer live in the life that is promised of Jesus, and a new person comes and arises. The old self is shed, and the new begins to be raised so much so that we have the practice, the second sacrament of the church is baptism, where we, with Jesus, die when we go under the water and we are raised with him when we come above the water, signifying that we now walk in the life of Jesus. This, my friends, changes everything. Jesus's resurrection Means spiritual resurrection now. It means physical resurrection for all of us later. It is an everyday experience of life. It is an everyday experience that no matter what my circumstances are, listen, the world is still 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 full of sin. The world is still full of death. And so around me, I'm gonna experience circumstances that have death written all over it. I'm gonna experience sadness. I'm gonna experience depression. I'm gonna experience death. I'm gonna experience anxiety. I'm gonna experience brokenness in my relationship. The circumstances around me are going to be hard. I may experience sickness. These are remnants of the human condition that have been part of every grain of this world possible. But in the midst of any circumstance, when you have the life, the abundant life, the life on top of life of Jesus, it is a joy in the midst of hardship that truly can differentiate someone who is living in a Christian, a a Jesus-fearing, a Jesus-worshiping, a Jesus-bowing-down life to one who is just maybe paying lip service to it, to one that is culturally a Christian, maybe grew up a Christian, or to one of the world whose circumstances dictate everything. I mean, look no further than the world around us where happiness, joy, goodness, contentedness, freedom is all depended around how hard you can work when we all know that's not true. I know some of the hardest working people I ever met never will be that multimillionaire person that Instagram or TikTok will promise you. All around us, we have circumstances that lead to death. But the one who, as Jesus says, doesn't look back, the one that leaves everything and follows him, the one that says, Jesus, you are the only one that I will worship. All the other gods in my life I will kill. All the other high places in my life that I bow down to, I will remove those high places. When we look to Jesus alone, the promise is clear and the life after is clear, that it is abundant in him, that every time we experience this world, and we allow the circumstances to close in, it is simply because we have not allowed the abundant life of Jesus to fully surround, encompass, and live in. When you live in Jesus, there is joy. Joy in the way you work. I may hate my job, Lord. I'm the pastor, so that's, you know, just kidding. <laughs> I may hate the place that you have put me to live. I may hate the people around me. I may not like any of these circumstances, and the natural, they may seem destitute they may seem wrong but guess what in you I have joy because my joy doesn't come from what I see with my eyes my joy is in Christ alone I have peace in my family that would be a true testament to the resurrection of Jesus for many of us here My contentedness with my life choices. If there is anything that this world teaches, it is one thing. Always second guess every decision because you could have done it better by the time now. You could have been richer. You could have had more. You could have been cooler. You could have been prettier. If you just spent that time and that money a little bit differently, it could have been better. But in Christ... I never have to second guess the life I have given myself over to. Because obedience to him, it doesn't matter where it leads me, it doesn't matter what circumstance and what pressure and what hardness, I know that this is literally the best life I could have lived. In a world of what could have been, I know and am secure in what I have. Many of us may still be le- living like Jesus never rose. We are conquered by sin and miserable with no joy. We are not content in our life and our decisions. We have no peace in our minds and in our circumstances. We have been so captured by the human condition that it has become normal to live a life of sin and death, even if we know that Jesus has done what he's done. I want to encourage you today that the resurrection of Jesus, just like it has changed human history, should change your history. It should change your story forever. Like I said, it doesn't mean I'm never going to be experienced the depression and the sadness of life around me. But guess what? In those times, I know where to seek out life. I know where my only joy comes from. It doesn't mean my circumstances will no longer be hard, that it's easy, simply, simple living from here. No, it just means that I have a solid foundation on where I will stand and no longer be shaken from one situation to another. It means that in my life, I know where I'm going and I know where eternity is so I can be secure that I'm living in life and life abundantly that when I die, it is only the next step in the journey. I wanna encourage you today. You may have paid lip service to God for a long time. I believe you, but you may not have experienced life abundantly. You may be here and not believe in Jesus at all. And if that's the case, then you have certainly experienced death. I would encourage you today, go to the one person that can give you true life. The only person who has conquered the grave, raised from the dead, and has a witnessing community to this day, thousands of years later, that can still speak to that abundant life today. Today, I invite all of you to experience the resurrection. Don't just talk about it. Don't just sing about it. Don't just celebrate it. Experience it. The resurrection is not something that we just talk, sing, and jump about. The resurrection is a power that we experience every single day. Because woe to this body that is so full of sin and death. I need the resurrection power every morning, every night, every afternoon not just on Sunday, but I need it on Monday. I need it after church on Sunday. I need it on Tuesday. God knows I need it on Friday and on Saturday. I need it every day. Every day when I wake up, I tell Jesus, I need to experience your resurrection power because I am dead inside without you. Everything I touch, every person I talk to, everything I do will lead to death without you, Lord. Give me your power today. Because only through your power can I have life. Stand with me, church. Life may not be easy, but it certainly will be meaningful and satisfying in Jesus. And so I invite you, give him all today. your heart make that decision Jesus I will go to you for resurrection life and resurrection power every morning every midday and every night because you are the only source that has life you are the only well that I can drink from where I will never thirst again you are the only one who is broken for me so that I could not experience the death that was destined for me and all those around me you are the only one who has conquered the human condition once and for all I never have to revisit it again because of you. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit now. And we thank you that when your Holy Spirit is here, your presence is here, your helper is here, that you would empower us to walk in your resurrection and in your abundant life today we would come to the well of Jesus, that we would never thirst again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.